Uh, and again, like, it builds up, it built up, and like, what's happening in the purple? And that's the thing, and who's going to save Dave? Yeah, I think any kind of, I think, I think if that was in the draft at some point, like, oh, well, uh, might as well, it's time to be let's, uh, let's wake up the organics and see what they have to say. I'm sorry, um, who was that supposed to be Tom? Who is the Scottish <laughs> one in the group? <laughs> <laughs> he does from the whole. It came to me in a dream. <laughs> Welcome to Podcast Maximus, the Transformers podcast where we take deep dives on Transformers. Comics. I am Tom McNally, and with me is Stuart Webb. Hello! And Marion Hill Ditch. Hi! It's a big week this week. More Than Meets the Eye, issue 55, the final part of Dying of the Light, has been released, and we've had a little bit of time to chew over it, to write up our notes, to marshal our thoughts, and to put them all together here for you, the very discerning public. Very discerning. I suppose one thing to mention before we go in is the big news uh, we've had since the last time we recorded one, that more of a meeting eye is metamorphosizing. That's the word. And effectively, especially if you're going to be reading this in trade in the future, this is really the last issue. There's two more. There's three more. True, true, but they're part of other events of crossovers and in the books there'll be... Uh, they won't be even more than BTI trades the next three issues. So this is really sort of the end of the, the road for main more than BTI. As, uh, the next two, it's Titus Return and Red Revolution, isn't it, for the, uh, the final few? But uh, soon it will be Lost Light. Yes, it's not the end. It's it's an enhanced. Transformers more than meets the eye, Lost Light. Where we're not losing more than meets the eye. We're just getting a new shiny one. It is a much better title. Uh, that depends if the Lost Light is going to be in it. But even as a phrase, Lost Light is such a nice, evocative, uh, you know, indie pop sort of phrase. Um, well, more than meets the eye is, is an advertising jingle. A lot of people have made that comment, so now it's going to get its own unique name. But I have completely forgotten what more than meets the eye used to stand for. <laughs> it's like synonymous with this book. So that's going to take a bit of getting used to, I think. Well, the occasion it comes up that uh, I've been reading Transformers comics to people who do not do the same. More than meets the eye is the phrase that comes to their lips. I say, oh, I was reading this Transformers comic, and they go, meh, more than meets the eye. I say, yeah. <laughs> oh, listeners, I wish you could see the, the little dance Tom had done there. That was a, a beautiful sight to behold. <laughs> That's what everyone should do uh, whenever they say more than meets the eye, and I will be doing so in future. <laughs> Are we excited for this new, slightly revamped book that will have a new artist, I believe? Not completely oh. new artist, Alex Milne is staying on, but it's going to have an addition to the uh, uh, oh. More Than Meets the Creative. Yes, it's uh, Jack Lawrence, is it? Another old um, uh, TMUKer, right? Yes, uh, but he has done some other professional work. I believe he's done uh, Doctor Adventures. 
was uh, main one was mentioned uh, when he was announced. Unfortunately, it was another slightly botched announcement for various reasons that seem to be resolved now. So it wasn't the best way to find out about it. Hopefully, it'll continue in the sort of generally good trend. Uh, sort of everything's relaunching, really, in uh, the end of the year, post-revolution. There's not just lost lights. Possibly for sales reasons, uh, or to give things a bit of a boost. Uh, but whatever reason for reboot or relaunch, hopefully, uh, yeah, this issue ends in an interesting place that, no, we'll talk about when we get there, but it, it could lead to a, still a very good series if there's not too much outside looking about from Hasbro or whoever. Assuming it carries on in the same vein, I won't be too worried. I think it could uh, be quite a good comic, is my controversial opinion. Well, I guess it will be the same comic. I mean, all the rebranding and stuff is pretty... It seems like it's going to be fairly cosmetic. I guess the the, the main difference is that this is the end of John Barber as editor. Mm, that's, a, that's a very good point. That's another bit of news that we got recently before. Actually, I think it was about the same time as we found out about Lost Light. And I, I think John Barber is... Well, we know he's definitely carrying on writing. So he'll be carrying on writing the Transformers ongoing. And I believe he's off to write other things as well. So this may be perhaps a personal decision on his part so he can concentrate a bit more on the writing. Uh, We're doing a great big uh, movie prep (laughs) uh, uh, crossover with all Hasbro properties. And completely coincidentally, the guy who runs all the Transformers comics is leaving. And uh, before he did, he said it was Andy Griffith's idea. And coincidentally, Andy Griffith is also leaving. I think John Barber will be missed as the editor. I mean, I can be quite harsh on XRID at times. And as editor, I think uh, his role has never got the credit it deserves. I mean, imagine editing this book and this issue with all this myriad callbacks to minor things from 20 issues ago and keep it on top of all that. Uh, oh, interesting, I think Nick Roach mentioned that uh, the uh, Springer twist in Sins of Wreckers was a John Barber idea. That wasn't in his original plot, which uh, I thought was an interesting. Uh, so he's always had a massive impact on the editing side. But frankly, I'd rather be saying the editor and giving up writing myself, because I think he's perhaps a bit burnt out there. As many people would be after four years. I think not many people can sustain franchise writing for a sustained long period of time. Yeah, I think it would be some that score. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's, you know, I'm sure his effects are very subtle and numerous. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, his loss is felt. But yes, uh, we saw issue 55, uh, which is, I would say, even by the standards of this series, quite a dense issue. Would we all agree? There's a lot going on here. Especially as everything takes place in something like 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. In story time. Yeah. Yeah, I have to unpack it. I have to read it two times straight just to really kind of <laughs> understand the magnitude of everything that happened. I felt like a rabbit who had to eat something and then crap it out and then eat it again just to digest it properly. Yeah, but I was making my uh, notes. Obviously, trying to break down to sections rather than talking about it panel by panel. And I think my first block of notes for a section to talk about had about 20 different things on it, which uh, that was just the first four pages. Yeah, I think it was the first time with More Than Meets the Eye when I was I wanted to turn the page so much that I was actually skim reading because I wanted <laughs> to see what was happening next. 
And it's only open as it means to go on, really, with a uh, plot reveal that I don't think any of us predicted, but yeah. makes perfect sense in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is almost sort of a modus operandi of the whole issue. So the Galactic Council and Getaway. Yeah. What did we think about that? Oh, brilliant sleight of hand. Perfect. I'm not, I can't remember whether we discussed it at all or not, uh, or whether we touched on it or not, but certainly it was one of the ideas that were being kicked around at the time that Getaway hadn't in fact called DJD, he called the Galactic Council. And uh, it was somewhere at the back of my head, I think, as a possibility. So I wasn't entirely surprised. Uh, it did take me yeah. a while to figure out what was what. So who was it that sent the signal to the lost light and such? But on second read, it became clearer. So um, the Galactic Council have very literally just turned up because Getaway told them that the others are stranded on the planet. And they are stranded on the planet because the DJD have sent um, the message and have trapped them there. So that the moment after that became clear in my head, then it all kind of like made sense. Yeah, it is very complicated, the, the, the timeline of what must have happened. I get, yeah, like the DJD, I mean, not the DJD, the Galactic Council, I suppose, you know, didn't set up the mutiny. They just took advantage of the, of the situation because they had an inside line. But this has been ticking away for so long. Uh, well, we said a lot as we talk about this issue. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I mean, as Marion says, you know, it's not surprising that there was this other factor. But yeah, because it, 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 it just makes such a satisfying click you know, in your mind. Like, yeah, these guys would have a hand in what's going on here. But I think that the genuinely surprising thing, I think it was, it was really clever, was the idea that they 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 acted. The thing which really upset them was the heroics. Yes. So they've been using Megatron as the ultimate bad guy. He was the incentive, or rather, the the reason how the uh, what they were using to keep people in line. So the, he was the enemy. That was the excuse. For what they were doing which is which now i now you say it like that makes uh <laughs> it's very uh very congruent to the function of the djd uh amongst the decepticons that megatron was the is the boogeyman to a lot of the the world the timing is also it, it helps explain overlord's timing i i mean i would never have imagined them as um, overlord's benefactors so that's not something i saw coming but that explains where Overlord came from. <laughs> I don't know where and why he came late. Because they arrived after everything else had happened. And he just presumably flew down from orbit from um, the uh, Galactic Council ship. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. But the, uh, the irony is we talked about uh, whether it was a bit too c- contrived that Overlord turned up. And of course, the twist is he was the one who was always supposed to be there. It's really the DJD turning up that was uh, the unlikely coincidence. Yeah, and that's and we'd already accepted that. That's that's the thing which really bends your brain. So there's been a lot of talk about Getaway after we find out that uh, actually he didn't sell his friends out to the DJD. He just sent the Galactic Council after Megatron and expected them to spare everyone else. He checks in on that to make sure that they've held the end of the bargain in these first few panels. Do we think then mm. that, uh, well, not Tom, that you've always found Getaway's actions justified anyway. Do we think that this makes the situation even more bearable? I think dramatically 
it suggests that the lost light is going to turn up. And I think that is that that is also, that is very clever. Yeah, I think you know if Getaway is going to sell anybody out to anybody, the DJD is the worst possible people you could sell them out. I think maybe you know Getaway is is of course uh, the villain, but it certainly makes the rest of the crew certainly makes Thunderclash and Perceptor and all our other friends um, less monstrous. I think you have to see where he didn't know about Overlord. Uh, yeah. Because why would that would have been? But uh, I don't. I think if he's checking up on them, it's only because of me on the crew are going. Have you found out if everyone's still alive back on that planet yet? It's it's been a few hours. Have, could he just get on the space phone and ask them? I don't think Gessaway himself actually gives that much of a toss what happens to Rodimus or, or any of the others really. Hmm. And as we find out, even his trust on the Galactic Council is misplaced because they turn on him right away. And uh, if we remember from Empire of Stone, Drift was sending over Cybertronians to the Galactic Council and Ratchet was very against that. That was a very bad thing to do. Ah. Oh, was he? Yeah, so... What, 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 what would, I haven't read Empire Stone. Tell me what, what, what was Drift doing with them? Okay, so this is not a spoiler for anyone who hasn't read it. It happens at the very beginning of the book. But basically, what Drift does in Empire Stone is he, he starts with going around the universe, finding rogue Decepticons who are, um, you know, uh, attacking innocent people, um, arrests them and takes them to the Galactic Council. Oh, okay. It's like being a cowboy. <laughs> For a happy ending. And uh, when Ratchet turns up, he's not very impressed with him because uh, he's not very fond of the Galactic Council and thinks if he's going to take them somewhere, he should be taking them back to Cybertron. And that, that's that's not on, basically. Oh, that's quite a neat little uh, little situation. Okay. Mm. I, I can see I can see Drift be that naive. Uh, I think Gessaway would have a much better idea. They're his specialty, right? His whole deal was to try and uh, I guess like what was what were he and Skids called? What was their group? Kind of the wreckers done right? Diplomatic corps. The diplomatic corps. Yeah, they. I guess they were all part of Prowl's idea plan to try and integrate Cybertron back into. The galactic community, which I guess he wouldn't be keen on anymore with Prowl, but that's a different matter. I suppose just one last thing before we move on, that's on 10 minutes on one page. This is really going to be a dense, dense thing, but is it me or does the Galactic Council ship look sort of like an evil lost light? It's got a similar sort of sort of blocky front to move the rods coming out of it and that. Uh, uh, no, uh, just me. Okay. No, <laughs> I'd, I'd say it looks a bit more like an evil red dwarf. Oh, sure, that's not an analogy we'll be making again during the course of this issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Choom Choom Choom. Yes, again, I don't think anyone... We want to speculate what the Choom 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 was going to be about, uh, who was really shooting, and it turns out it was exactly who we were... They looked like was shooting, was shooting. Yes, bit of misdirection there. Mm. Yeah, pretty clever. And again, uh, logical... And I love how it's Ravage explaining all this uh, as he's dying as well, sort of giving all the exposition again. You, you idiots, can't you tell what's really going on here? <laughs> so, just to say, um, what is actually happening is Megatron has stolen Trailcutter's panic bubble. Went back in issue hmm, 34, perhaps, or 35, maybe. Uh, he, when he was holding his hand, yeah. he steals Trailcutter's hand <laughs> with a force field button. 
Yeah, That's... was he putting a uh, Rodimus star in his hand, or was he ganking the uh, the force field to use later? I, I think the star was on the other hand anyway. But yes, so subtly done. And also, you know, the uh, in the um, uh, the what do you call it? The publicity for season two. You had those images going around, like the sort of the tarot deck, and Trailbreaker was the catalyst. Not only, I, I mean, it kind of looked like his death was setting the DJD on with a collision course with the Lost Light um, for a round two. But, you know, a catalyst isn't used up. A catalyst keeps uh, it keeps the reaction going at a certain rate. And that's incredibly apt for, um, for you know, what's happening here. Like, the, 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 the DJD and Trailbreaker are really entwined together in this strange kind of post-mortem dance. Indeed, and we, we keep seeing traces of Trailcutter, I think, throughout this season anyway, uh, particularly throughout this arc, where, you know, Kaon's death mimics Trailcutter as well, time pulls his head out. And this panel, when Megaton activates the panic bubble, is an exact copy of the panel of Trailcutter activating the panic bubble and the push of Megatron off. So there's some, some lovely echoes um, of various Trailcuttery things. Um, and I just want to say, because the colours in this issue are absolutely spectacular, the art is spot on on the whole, but I think the colours really, really shine. Um, we we kind of skip the credits, um, so just to say, Gianna La Fuente is on the colours again, uh, and Alex Milne is doing the whole art for this issue, and the both of them, I think, have done a spectacular job. And... Uh, yes, particularly anything that involves the panic bubble, I think, has been really eye-popping, um, really fantastic. Yeah, 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 totally agree. I mean, we're into nighttime now, as far as this um, this day is going, and the yeah, the the way the yellows contrast against the purples is um, um, is beautiful. You're right. Uh, the art team is at the height of their powers. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would argue about it, but it sort of like confirms Megatron's character. He's the sort of guy who can be genuine in his sorrow over Trailcutter's death and his quest for redemption. But if he can see something useful, if things go wrong, he's going to nick it. I wonder how many other things he stole over the course of the last year and he's never actually got round to using. <laughs> so little bits of bombs are just laying about. Oh, that's, a, that's a useful leg somebody's got there. I'll just swipe that. Unconscious. <laughs> That'd be such a nice Easter egg for season three. If you go to his room, he's got yeah, <laughs> a couple of flowers, maybe. Just um, I mean, just in this issue alone, he's got two arms when he's took off people. So who knows what other stuff he's got? So there's um, there's a uh, the 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 guilt weapon is used again, which I thought was uh, was very clever. Um, and yeah, why didn't they use that earlier? Yeah, maybe maybe unnecessary though. Um, in uh, from a storytelling perspective, the source was getting there. I did, I don't feel he needed that weapon at that point. Yeah, that's that's the main issue. I suppose if they needed it to make sure all his treats would, if if and probably had a similar effects on many of them as well. Uh, uh, and on Nickel. And I think it's it's probably what dr- what drives Megatron over the edge as well. Do we see this having an effect? Because we don't see it having an effect on it visibly on panel. We don't see it having an effect on Nicole. We've seen the weapon seems to cause some kind of extreme reaction to the people it targets. Um, Nicole seems unaffected. Nicole's decision seems to be based purely on logic. 
she sees what's going on. You know, she's been observing this for some time now. Um, she decides at that point that actually, I don't think this is going to work out. I think what we should really do is steal the DJD ship and everything on it and get out of here and then... <laughs> you know, go fight organics. This is what she decides. And she actually says, I think it's time someone else was in charge and takes charge. Yeah. Quite spectacular. Yeah. Leader. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the thing with the Taurus, though, why it works for me, and I think I'd otherwise be agreeing with you, Barry, but I think what it work, makes it work for me is that it's a mirror to what happened to Megatron in the first part of the story, in that he would probably have come round to the idea of not... I've given a toss about organics eventually as part of his character art, but sort of having that short, sharp shock gave him a kick in the guts and made him change his world viewpoints there and there. And that's basically what happens in the Saurus here. It pushes him in the direction he was going anyway. And I think that symmetry is what makes it work. And with the call, sort of, only enough, I don't think any of us said, why don't they just use that on the Decepticons, didn't we? Even though, in retrospect, it's a really obvious thing to have done. So I suppose if we overlooked it with our dispassionate distance of not being in the life and death situation, it's okay for a little swerve. Who, of course, was was, it, was uh, catatonic a couple of issues ago. Uh, it took him a while to come up with the idea. Um uh, yeah, yeah, t- uh, totally agree. I, I guess, I guess my read on it, and maybe why it's a, yeah, an easier pill for me to swallow, is that I'm looking at it that everybody outside, except the DJD, seems to be affected by this. I, I, I would attribute Overlord's actions to his own version of a of an attack of consci- conscious consciousness. Yeah, with Overlord, I think, uh, and I've seen a few people say they don't like how Overlord decides to go away. Uh, they felt that was a bit too neat and uh, a way of just keeping him alive for future plots. And I could sort of see that, but for me, I think it's uh, he knows the Galactic Council have their ultimate thing. He knows it's going to take a while to get into that force field and Megatron might have other tricks up his sleeve. He doesn't care about the DJD, really. So he's just like, yeah, I'm off. You lot can all get killed in a minute by my partners. <laughs> and, and going off in a sulk is what Overlord's all about. I, I like how we all have different interpretations um, on Overlord's motivations because I just took it at face value that he just, you know, he's just like, yeah, I'm not really interested in defeating this person anymore. He's not this all-powerful thing that keeps defeating me. He's just this broken man. And I'm over it now. And just leaves. Maybe actually defeating Megatron is something Overlord could never brought himself to do anyway because what does he do after that? Once his uh, main reason for carrying on is gone. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a real kind of um, well, I, I, yeah. I suppose Overlord is kind of a walking Oedipus complex, and uh, yeah, it, 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 we, he, he's not unintelligent, but he may have the foresight to, he may may have the self awareness to know that uh, it, once his stick is gone, he's not really, <laughs> he's got nothing left to do. I agree. I'm amazed Brainstorm didn't have a spark spasm where Ravage told him he's not the smartest person in the conversation. <laughs> Which, is a bit, a bit of stuff going on here, Ravage and Brainstorm could be easy to overlook, but I just loved that two panels of them being sarcastic to one another. That was just a fantastic little sequence. So here's the Red Dwarf reference. Stuart, you ready? Oh, wait, which bit? It's... Oh, you missed it. Did you miss it? 
Uh, yeah, well, where, where is it? There's so many ones, Tom. I can't keep track of all The one where, where, where the part where Red Dwarf is explicitly referenced, then you miss it. Um, the, the, the bit, uh, you know, oh, we're, six, we're, we're three million years into deep space. Uh, human race is extinct. We're, we're never going to see Earth again. And how did I end up with this traffic cone? No, no, well, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not at this bit. That's, uh, Tom, yeah, no, you're confusing me by talking, skipping ahead, Tom. Oh, of course I am. Of course I am. <laughs> uh, I was saying, it's uh, interesting Tard is able to punch his way into the force field. Exactly uh, oh, how tough that was supposed to be. That's one hell of a dedicated man. Well, he was he was let into the force field, wasn't he? Megatron's got some control. No, actually, yeah, yes, good point. But ni- nice reversal, of course, when the, the, the oh shit moment of Kaon uh, being in the bubble with Trailbreaker. Now, it's a different kind of, oh, shit, like, oh, you know, you're not locked up here with me. Uh, you're not, I'm not locked up in here with you. You're locked up in here with me kind of uh, trick. It's the Rorschach moment. The Rorschach reversal. And then, of course, I don't know if anyone's spotting this Red Dwarf reference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too keen on the last day. It's only an okay episode. That's why I didn't spot that. So... <laughs> We have some perfect Megatron moments here, I think. A massive, massive callback, even by the standards of this issue, with Megatron's anti-matter eyes, which is a joke payoff that's 31 years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be good if Auntie was in this, wasn't it? He had to blow up Auntie with his, uh, with his black hole eyes. Maybe in an earlier draft, Tarn was Windcharger. Have we seen Windcharger in the present day? I'm trying to think now. Uh, I think in a couple of background bits. They wouldn't, it would, I, I, I'm sure there'd be something to invalidate it. But um, but yeah, I don't know if it, if it was all building up to this moment. I think you've got Ravage in there. You've got Black Hole Eyes. It's all about Raiders of the Last Ark. Sorry, man, we're talking about like a quite ropey early UK uh, story where Megatron uses Black Hole Eyes. And Ravage teams up with Windcharger. Well, to be fair, he thinks about using his black owl eyes. He only actually uses verb in uh, Resurrection. Oh, okay. Uh, which the okay. panel of the Atomata coming out of Megatron's eyes here is an erect visual reference to uh, the, time he, the one time he did do this. Uh, I think ever, in fact, not just in Marvel. I don't think he's ever used that ability otherwise. What, what I love about this is like, uh, the Atomata eyes things has always been ripped a piss out of a bit in fandom, which is slightly mocked. Because uh, it is ludicrously, insanely powerful and counterproductive because it will blow up everything if you use this. It's uh, it's, it's a bit cheesy and rubbish. It's like uh, one of those moments, it's like Doctor Who bringing K-9 back or when Spectre brought out my cat, the Blofeld. It's reclaiming uh, a mildly rubbish bit of a prior law and playing it completely straight and seriously and be brilliant about it. And I so I love it when franchises do that. Uh, so I really enjoyed this uh, moment. All franchises do that. All franchises do that now. Of course, in more than MCI terms, this is also something that's been in the making for, what, five years now? Since the ongoing 22, Chaos Theory, when Ratchet first mentions yeah, it to Perceptor. And Perceptor says, please don't be ridiculous. This isn't something that's doable. Stop talking nonsense. We're scientists here. (laughs) And then Ratchet, of course, asks Megatron in issue 29 as well. He says, I want to ask you about your eyes. 
And then the scene cuts, which is again the trail cutter issue. Oh, is that the scene? Oh, nice. Yes. It's all paired up together. Uh, there's, there's, it's, this is perfect Megatron because the idea of him just locking the DJD in a cupboard with him and just blowing everybody up. That's that's kind of that's like the textbook definition of a Thanatos urge, isn't it? Just you you just want to 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 destroy all these things you've made. You're just so like you've got this to and fro between man's desire to create and man's desire to destroy. It's all right there, uh, and I think like the reason this works is because even though this is Megatron, the leader of the evil Decepticons. Uh, with like a stuck in a force field with all of his uh, justice squad who wear silly masks and things. I think the reason this works is because this is like, you know, this is a soft sci-fi version. I don't know, like, it reminds me of like of certain alcoholics I know, and you feel like if 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 you were to give them a sort of a genie lamp where they could have anything. They would probably want to just set fire, just to, to burn to death in their own house. No wonder Megatron got on with Prelka. <laughs> or you can, um, I mean, the way I'm interpreting it is that the DJD there are standing for an aspect of Megatron that he's trying to get rid of, um, which is why he throws the uh, "you're gonna die having achieved nothing" line at Tan, which is what Rodimus tells Megatron back in issue 28. It's his greatest fear. And what he's killing there, I think, is that fear. And uh, but, but but his intention surely is to kill himself as well. Yes, that, that's his plan, right? Yes, yeah, it is. But it's a very, you know, it's an almost like very like killing himself would not. He wouldn't feel himself being killed if you see what I mean. But like just killing the DJD right there would be him actively killing and then dying. If that makes sense. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. It would just be suddenly nothing, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, Tarn's oh shit face when Megatron is actually being quite petulant sounding, going, I you came along and ruined everything. <laughs> uh, Tarn's face there is just fantastic. <laughs> I, I do love the, the way, like the panic on the DJD's face when they realise they can't escape the bubble. I think it, they've been drawn fantastically there. And it's not... A, the, and it's that thing, you know, what Tan says earlier, it's that, like, if you fought back, I would have no choice. You would defeat me because you are the strongest thing ever. They are genuinely horrified of him. <laughs> yeah, and it's so sweet. It's so sweet. We've seen, how many people have we seen Tan torture to death now? Ooh, uh, not as many as I We've heard more than we've actually seen yeah. him do. I think it's only Black, Black Shadow and um, the guy with the religion. What was his name? That we've actually... Yeah. Yes, that we've okay. actually seen him torture. Yeah. I think it's just the two of them. But obviously, I mean, we've seen, you know, Grand Corps and so on, so... But, but just, just that kind of thing where the power is so in Tarn's side. It's quite... Just knowing that it's just those two is quite interesting because this Black Shadow is, like, big and tough and, uh, you know a real baddie and it makes Tarn look cool when he's able to take him out but then Blip like is so tiny and weak and like just doesn't quite understand why this is happening and uh, it, it makes Tarn it makes Tarn seem pathetic um, and, and seeing those two things so like you know when um, there's a there's a Ian M. Banks book Transitions 
where a um, through a long, complicated set of, of things, a, somebody who who's a professional torturer, his consciousness is sent into the body of somebody who he has previously tortured. And that's the look on Tan's face. Is that at the point where he's just about to put the the cheese grater on his 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 knees? Um, and yes, uh, we live in a world which is um, very sadly defined by torture and by sadists. And it's very sweet to have fiction where you know, where the mouse gets the cat. And also uh, with the sort of a force field and all the the oranges and reds. In the colour scheme, it's not unlike their visually, but they're in a fire, but they're being burnt up, which is a nice callback to uh To Grandcore, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, a nice spot. Yeah. I especially love the uh look at yourself, you have two fusion cannons. Which is a criticism everybody has made who doesn't like Tard has made about him, where they've gone, Oh, okay, that's just tried too hard giving him two fusion cannons. That's the point, that's the point, you fools. Uh, but th- and then again, the art here—I mean, as you say, like they're on fire. The, the panic bubble, the colours. The uh, I think John Elefante here has just completely uh, done herself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we we uh, have a bit of a dissection of Megatron's, you know, cartoon villain tendencies of his um, his yoinking everything. Uh, but there's 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 a there's a really poignant line in there of tomorrow he might want something different. And Ravage is is putting it out as if this is like, aha, he's outsmarted you again. But like, Megatron hasn't, he's not outsmarted anyone. He's just acted really strange and erratically and prevented anyone from getting close to him because they might rumble one of his millions of, of half-baked little schemes. It's like, this is the reason this man has no friends. Like, he's not, he's just secretive and aloof and, and like, mad. He's not, he's, he's not, he just happened to work out Okay, this time, because I guess he wanted to kill himself <laughs> in this very metaphorical way. It has always worked out for him, though, hasn't it? Yeah, by the by the grace of the story. I mean, he's never been happy. He's never been a happy person, according to himself. You know, he finds happiness when he finally doesn't feel the need to do that. And the minute the DJD turn up, he needs to fall back to his scheming and his backup plans and the backup plans of his backup plans, and then he resents them for it. Yeah, you made me use my dumbest plan. (laughs) (laughs) Plan 57 A's. (laughs) There's something also, uh, I don't know if this is intentional, but I get like, this is also a bit kind of the way this story is written as well, isn't it? There's just like, Megatron is looking at Tailcutter's hand. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something I can use later. You're supposed to say James Roberts is Megatron. I, I think he's identifying with he, this aspect of him. That you know, just, just plan for the future by... Uh, maybe maybe we can follow James Roberts around for a while. We'd see that maybe his uh, pockets get heavier when he comes out of a news agent. <laughs> Yeah. Does he like bury things in random locations around Gurney <laughs> in case he needs them later? I, I might miss dinner tonight. In that case, I'll go out by the old tree where I buried all these Twix bars. But he, he was making sack castles yesterday on Twitter, so who knows what he was burying with that bucket spade? <laughs> <laughs> it's the script to season three. <laughs> There's also there's another line in here where um, you know uh, Megatron's inspired by Tailgate, 
that may be uh, how he put two and two together and made five here, but that um, Payne would be able to focus his latent abilities. Uh-huh. So, like, uh, so the, the scene where he goes out to meet Tarn, where he seemingly has no plan to surrender, he totally had a plan because he buried, uh, first of all, he buried his suitcase there. And of I guess, that's what he was really going for, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'll go meet you out there, and if it goes a bit pear-shaped, I'm going to go back in time. Yeah, uh, or bring uh, out my panic bubble and kill you with my eyes. Yeah, yeah, uh, or if you beat me up, I'm, I'm going to blow this planet up. Oh yeah, and I guess he also had the panic bubble there. So, yeah, no wonder he was so unusually calm. If he'd have just used a panic button then, and killed Tarn of it, he would have saved a lot of time and effort to boil skins. <laughs> That is a fantastic spot, Tom. I hadn't considered that at all, but yeah, he so had the plan when he went out there. <laughs> also, on the page uh, where Voss, who uh, Tard seems quite upset about, where he blows up, the top of that page, the panic bubble looks like a sunset, which is a nice sort of visual touch for deadline, because otherwise we haven't really seen the, uh, the sun go down, uh, did we? Uh... But it said it's a metaphorical sunset there. Yeah, and we've got the pinks and, and stuff there to, to, to denote sunset. And also some nice Bundy dots. I hadn't spotted those. So, oh, the big reveal. But yes, uh, the reveal, uh, which I think is uh, possibly the most controversial part of the issue. And we have, uh, before we get to the reveal, we have this amazing build-up where Megadon starts calling out everyone's birth names you're like, oh, it's gonna happen. It's gonna, it's finally here. The moment is here. So you're like, it's such foreplay. No, it was insane. It was like, yeah, yeah, words, words. Turn the page now. <laughs> and uh, we have this, uh, you know, velocity being the reader saying, oh, do you mean they're not the real names? That's totally Velocity's voice. <laughs> She's got the voice of like a, a sort of serving maid in, a, in an Edwardian drama. Uh, stop asking dumb questions, Velocity. Work on a ravage. And um, yeah, voice goes down and then, and then, and then the unexpected happens. And the uh, roller walks in. Yeah, I, I, this, this kind of messed up my mind. <laughs> I really had to just go back and like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Has something happened? Is this a, is this a black hole trick? Is this like, what's going? Did, did time travel just happen? Yeah, I had a similar. I'm sorry, what? What's going on? Did what? What? Is that how? How can they be? How can they be in two places at once? I don't understand this. <laughs> Has Rola just been on the crew the whole time? Uh, we just he's just been off panel. <laughs> <laughs> We just mentioned, just in case anyone is listening to this without any backstory, who's just joined the fandom, who doesn't understand what we're all on about, let me just say, dear listener, the fandom has been going on about time being roller for years now. (laughs) Now, at first, this was just a random theory for reasons. But then James Roberts decided... Is this how it's going to be? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to troll you to death. So you're 100% sure of that role every star in your mind. So there is no question about it. Maybe you might think he's Dominus Sambus. Some of you might. And then I'm going to... I'm going to take that away from you in the previous issue just so you have nothing else. 
<laughs> then for those of you who had said no, you're going to lose that as well. And then you're just going to be, no, there's nobody left. It has to be Rolla. So this is why this issue works so well, dear listener. It's because we all <laughs> fell for it. Yeah, I think if anyone who jumped on with issue 50, because that was sort of promoted as a jumping on punt uh, for new readers, uh, then they would, I really would have no idea what's going on in the whole issue. But it's, it's, it's sort of like the X-Files season final, where it's all about the ongoing plots with no concessions to people who just tuned in and out. And it, it's a lot better than pretty much any X-Files season final. They're usually quite terrible, even on those terms. But it's a similar sort of let's do the arc thing and play off just nearly everything. So if I was somebody who was new, I think it'd be a valid complaint to say that it's a bit baffling. To those of us who have been sort of staying the course, I absolutely love this. I mean, I think the only bit that's maybe a bit odd is that Roller happens to wake up at just this moment. And was there any mention of them activating the organic pods to try and wake them up or anything like that? That's, that seems a bit... No, I think I think it's worth it. I think it's worth that all happening off panel for that what the fuck moment that happens. Based on what said later with the issue, I don't think Roller has any idea what's going on either. Uh, no. so he, he must have woke up, found a suitcase, and decided to carry it about with him. Maybe he's a bit of a thief like Megatron. He just likes to grab things. Oh, that's a that's a nice suitcase. That'd be nice to to put my uh, lunch in. He's uh, he's got new collars, Roller. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess the, uh, the Necrobot fixed him up really nicely after he grabbed it because his face is to be fixed as well. Yeah. And and by the way, Nautica is still next to Skid's body. She hasn't moved. Just to mention also, there is an error on the page where Roller is in that Tessaros's and Helix's birth names have been reversed. And we've had that confirmed. Actually, they're the other way around, which would make more sense because that's what the names mean. I can't really tell the difference between them anyway, um, especially when their heads are exploding and they're bright pink. But so with, he says birth names, but he calls Glitch by his nickname as well. So maybe, maybe, they, maybe they decide to swap names at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, I have to say um, that took me out of the book. And it's interesting because James Roberts said the reason he calls him Glitch rather than Damus is because he thought Damus would take you out of the book because people wouldn't recognize the name. But actually, it was the use of Glitch that threw me. And um, I, 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 I kind of took a moment of, no, that's not right. Which took like that, you know, 0.5% out of that scene for me. It wasn't quite that annoying, but it did, you know, give me pause for a second. Well, that was my experience too. I was like, oh, no, but that's not good. What was his name? Glad Glad Bob. Uh, <laughs> then I had to go look up his name. I was like, well, it wasn't that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So jumping through, I, I love how Megatron says, uh, "I'm afraid Getaway had the right idea." No mercy. He's a bit team Getaway. Megatron is. <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting uh, person to you know take the side of there. But I, I love especially his start. Would be going, who the hell's getaway? <laughs> what are you on about, man? <laughs> but Hans, uh, please be reasonable. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is delicious. fantastic. Well, I suppose this is uh, worth mentioning, uh, but this is feels like a presumably intentional mirroring in a, of a scene in XRID issue 55 between Optimus and Galvatron. 
Uh, I think this scene works better than the R.I.D. one anyway, because that felt, the R.I.D. one feels like it's trying to be shocking, while this is much more impressive. I mean, you've got Megatron grabbing the Decepticon symbol. He loves stealing symbols from corpses as Megatron. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have a grace to wait till the guy's dead this time. <laughs> I'm having that. I've got any other useful stuff I could nick. <laughs> We've already taken the two fusion cannons as backup. <laughs> and, and amidst all this, uh, I also love uh, that Ratchet is more aggressive in Team Roller again than anything else that is going on. Yeah, oh, you know, Megatron's killing himself over there. Well, what else is new? But here's my old friend who I haven't seen in, I guess, the equivalent of years. Um, before we move on to those guys, um, I just want to linger and glitch a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I think it is quite a big reveal. I mean, it's something, it's a mystery that's been going on. Perhaps it wasn't as much of a mystery in season one, I guess. It was more of a curiosity that DJD weren't in it that much. There was the question around, you know, oh, Tarnis somebody, who is he? Um, but I think it became more and more of a thing in season two. So this is, again, another one of those big modern Messiah mysteries, that, along with Dominus Ambus. Um, we, you know, we've been... Uh, We've been curious about it for years now. And um, I know you said it worked for you. Um, it worked for me. Um, no, right away, I have to say. I mean, originally, my initial reaction was, what? Then it was, come on. Then, you know, it was like, no, no, he'll always be roller to me. You know, I'm not. My head cannon is going to override any other cannon. I don't care what you say. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought it is perfect. It is absolutely perfect that Tarn should be nobody. Tarn should be Tarn. I think this is the only way this is going to work. And what struck me after I sort of had the time to digest the issue a little bit more was that I was expecting, I think, up to maybe issue 49, maybe 48, I was expecting Tarn to be redeemed to a certain extent. And the reason I was expecting him to be redeemed was because... What he'd done up to that point, he could just about forgive. And also, at the back of my head, he was Roller. I read the Titan Returns issue before this. So after that destroyed my Sentinel Prime theory, I was pretty much in the Tarn isn't going to be Roller or anybody we'd expect. It's just going to be some bloke camp. So I wasn't, I wasn't expecting Tarn to be Roller. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> uh, what sums it up though and what we've been told repeatedly actually people have always you know Tarn said who he was doesn't matter a couple of times uh, it's sort of right before reveal when she's asking the question about what are their real names the first thing our surprise guest says is never mind that because it's not what really matters right up to the end it's been signposted uh, I know it's what a lot of people feel like this is uh, just a desperate attempt to avoid it being obvious uh, I said I th- think that Roberts definitely never planned for Tar to be Roller. I think he sp- never expected it to become such a big thing for readers, and he has wound it up making more of a thing of it himself than perhaps he originally intended back in season one. What I like about it, uh, it with Glitch, and I took me a second to remember who Glitch was, uh, sure. Uh, but what I love about it is it sort of plays into one of the big themes of the series, which is all the other. With, the lead characters are just the ones we are watching. Everybody else on the Lost Light is having their big, equally important adventures and being heroes. Uh, they, they get called in to have meetings with Rewind about Rung, or they save the day from Overlord, or solve the uh, personality ticks plot. 
people we don't meet or watch regularly. This is just an evil variant of that. You know, Glitch was in the same group as Roller. He was on Optimus Prime's key team. He would have been quite an important character in that team. But sort of, there was, what, five or six of them? So really, he's just as much a, a main player in that group as Roller ever was. But we never focus on him like we did on Roller. And it's uh, thematically right for the series when it would be a character like Glitch. Even better than Wing Charger, because Wing Charger got some focus. Yes. Uh, this works uh, for what the series is trying to do from the start, and it's quite nice when it revisits that idea right at the end with a little uh, little twist on it. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, for for me, this this landed as an incredibly skillful magic trick. You know, you, you're looking over here, you're looking over there, you're not looking at the pieces slotting around in the background. Um, and you know, and so confident the magic trick that you kind you you sort of reveal that the fact that you are being tricked just before you reveal what the trick is, what the trick was. Uh, and and you know. However many thousands of people read this book, however many hundreds uh, talk about it online, I think someone went back and had a look. Uh, and I think maybe one person got uh, made, made the connection between Glitch and Tarn in like 2014. And, and nobody really paid much attention because, you know, the trick wasn't done yet. You need this last little kind of slot in and then things kind of come into focus. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's more the cleverness of it. I think is what struck me more than anything else. I mean, and and it's it's great hearing that you know um, that you know emotionally and thematically it makes sense. Yeah, we 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 don't want Roller to be in charge of death camps, and uh, yeah, we, you know everybody's story is important, not just the people we focus on. So on many levels, this is just just slotting just. All happening all at once. It's great. You know, you say, Shield, that Glitch was as, part, um, as much a part of Ryan Pax's group as Roller was. And such. It's so entirely true because Roller was with him since before he formed that group. So they're together in Shadowplay and that's before they meet everybody else. So they, they have far longer history. Um, but sure, I mean, Glitch is there uh, when they go back in Elegant Chaos. Um, so they do have, you know, they have been together for quite some time. But I think for me, even though the idea of Tarn being nobody works, because I think Tarn is irredeemable at this point, I don't think there's anything he can do to go back. Um, and therefore, I don't want him to be a character that I actually quite liked. And actually, it's a bonus, because now I get the other character to play with, you know. But he doesn't work for me as Glitch, because we do know some things about Glitch, and what we do know about him just doesn't work for me. There isn't enough there. If he was, if if Megatron had said a name we'd never heard before, that would have worked for me better. Was it his uh, special power you particularly uh, took issue with? I think I remember you mentioned that on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, there's too much of a disconnect there for me because there is okay. So Glitch's power was to to <laughs> render uh, non-sentient, specifically it's mentioned, machinery inoperable uh, by touching it, which he, his power then expands, so he can do it from a distance. We see this in Elegant Chaos. His hands get fixed in between as well. So just to mention, Glitch is an Empyrata victim. 
so there's things we don't know about him. Obviously, he's done something to end up the way he's ended up. So there are a lot of gaps in what we know about who Klitsch is. But the things we do know, the idea that, okay, Transformers are machinery, so yes, perhaps his powers expanded to then render sentient machines inoperable but specifically what he does is he uses his voice at least that's what he says and we've always questioned whether what he said was actually the truth but what he says is that he uses his voice to snuff out sparks that doesn't really correspond to Klitsch's power it is a bit of a I can't really I think there is a bit of a gap there too much of a gap for me to make that leap and the bits that we do see, so for instance, there is that panel of Ryan Pax telling Roller about Megatron and he's writing that everybody hang on to as the ultimate proof that this is it. This is where he first heard about Megatron, you know, this is where it all began. And in the middle of that panel, bang on, looking at you is Glitch, which is very interesting but again it's not enough as far as I'm concerned. I can start reading into something so for instance I think it's very interesting that Tan's face under the mask is scarred. It's beyond scarred. It's He doesn't care what his face looks like basically. He's let his face go because that's not his face. And that's what he tells Megatron. This is my face. Yeah, yeah. The, the mask is his face. He doesn't care what his face looks like and for someone who is an Empyreata victim that makes sense. You know, he hasn't had a face. He hasn't had a face for millions of years. He he found his face through the Decepticons. And as an Empyreata victim, again, he would have had good reason to fall in with the Decepticons. So there are things there that make sense, but they are they only make sense if you try and sort of impose them. It's stopping my enjoyment of being 100% behind this idea. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with you, but my emo- my reaction to that is the opposite. The, the fact that there are these gaps and the fact that you can, oh, you know, you can kind of say, oh, hang on. So then what about that? And what about that? That idea of the character living off the page, um, I think, is delicious. Um, and I think that's, you know, it, 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 it is like a, it, it, it's a it's a big lit trick. It, you don't, The less you reveal, the more you are expected to fill in. And and I think that's an admirable, and and, and certainly deliberate. But I, I, that 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 gets me excited. Of course, this is a uh, the only character from this arc that uh, you'd like more information on the backstory to uh, uh, Marion. So, would you like at some point in the, the new comic to have like a Chaos Theory four going back and revisiting that period and finding out more about Glitch and Dominus and. Uh, what led them down their different paths? All of that would be fantastic. You know, any more information about that? Like, that period is wonderful. And the way James Roberts writes it, it's always very, very interesting and what he picks. And, um, But I personally don't care that much about Glitch, specifically. We are going to go to the Functionist universe and we are going to see what, what Glitch has been up to there. That would be very exciting. That is my prediction. Do you think he's... Because- He's with the uh, he's with the revolutionaries there. If he's been implanted, yeah. I, I think he'll be a hero there. Yeah. Mm. Of course, he was a. I guess the martyr would have been the main reason for him ending up a Decepticon, except he's been tortured by the saints like that. And of course, in in the Elliot Chaos era, they're not trying to completely change and overthrow the government. They're just trying to get rid of uh, the current Senate. So if they, they sort of do that to put Zeta in, 
uh, things don't get any better. Uh, then this other guy goes, yeah, we're going to sort this shit out and give you some proper hands. Uh, Chockwave's there, go, can I have some proper hands as well? No, you can have one proper hand, Chockwave. <laughs> we only had three hands and Glitch just had two of them. <laughs> you should have got here earlier, Shockwave. <laughs> yeah, uh, Optimus or Ryan Pax would not last long uh, under the Functionists. And uh, Glitch would take up the mantle. And Megatron uh, will have a, a mirror here of, uh, of Terminus meeting up with Megatron. I think Megatron is going to have some words to say to Glitch in the, um, in the Functionist universe. That's interesting. I don't, I can't, I can't see Glitch function. I think Glitch uses Megatron as an excuse mm. to ban his sadism. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't know why he got emperorated. Yes, we don't know anything about him at all. Not a thing. We don't see him do or say anything particularly positive. He's not a particularly likable character. He's the least noticeable of the group. The only thing we do see happen is he grabs Kids' arm when they're in the middle of stealing the Matrix and short-circuits it, he, or causes it to jam, I think. Um, and uh, Skids turns around and snaps at him. And then he sort of, like, retreats back into himself. Oh, Gl- Glitch got payback for that, didn't he? Oh, you're snapping me, do you? You know, you could read oh, wow. it. You could read into it, maybe, that he was getting his own back. But, you know, that would be a, a very, very petty person, wouldn't it? I mean, I mean, yeah, Tarn was a petty guy, though. I mean, he's done all this. And he's, he's still, there's almost like two children squabbling at the end here between him and Megatron. And like, let's be reasonable. That's like when you're a bully as a kid. Or when like a bully as a kid. I was never one. Don't believe anyone ever said I was. Mm-hmm. A bully as a kid who finds a bigger bully until he realises, oh, shit. I can't, no, that's not, I wasn't giving you a Chinese bird to be nasty. Let's, let's be friends. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, can, I can totally go with that interpretation on Tarn, on Glitch. Um, I mean, we know that Optimus... The weaponized uh, forgiving. I mean, if he was, if he let Whirl off the hook and made a big point of recruiting him, so I think, yeah, maybe Glitch was uh, boiling people alive, uh, and they, that's why he got, uh, that's why he became a criminal. And yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on there with using Megatron as an excuse. Well, even when his uh, power only worked on unsentient machinery, Glitch must have been an absolute bugger to hang around with as well. He, he wouldn't be a guy he'd invite to a party. He would have been a very lonely fellow. Oh, <laughs> who's killed the music? <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a suggestion here that, um, well, yeah, because we've got a little, uh, we can put these two points together about his powers. I think it, it tells us that when he... But yeah, it's not really voice related. That's something that he just kind of thought was cool, a cool way to, to package it, which uh, means that, I mean, I kind of thought this at the time, but I think, I think this is confirmation that, um, you know, when he goes over the, the intercom and threatens to blow up everybody's head on, uh, on Death Soros' war, war World, he was totally bluffing there and must have been loving it that people were buying, uh, buying his, uh, uh, his brags. Yeah, because he can, he can, we see him do it from a distance to machinery, not to actual Cybertronians. But yeah, could he do it? 
from such a big distance and to that an extent and every time we have have we ever seen him do it has he ever actually on panel killed anyone that way um he says that's how he killed black shadow but then there's the whole the inject him with something he doesn't though what happens is tan asks do you have any last words and black shadow says i'm really really sorry and then blows himself up oh he's got a self-destruct switch because of course he would he's an important asset so we've seen tan trying to kill people with his voice he, he starts trying to kill black shadow he starts trying to kill grimlock he starts trying to kill megatron he starts trying to kill uh what was his name again did we say bleep Blip, yep. But we've never actually seen him kill anyone that way. Yeah, I mean, at the I... very least, it tells us that it takes a lot of time and effort. And isn't there something about the fact that whenever Glitch uses his power, it hurts him? Yes, there is. Which, uh, what is it he says about what issue? Uh, I wear the mask so they don't see me, uh, my eyes, is it? Uh, maybe it's the actual pain, but he doesn't want to show rather than any uh, uh, guilt or remorse. Hmm. He actually, the way he phrases it, I think, if I remember right, is that he closes his eyes so he doesn't see the others do what yeah. they do. So, and that was always a, an interesting one because that, if if you want to read that as some kind of remorse, that is the only time that he ever exhibits any. But till the end, he appears to, despite killing Kaon, he appears to care for the others. He, yeah, he certainly gets a, he's, he's wrong-footed when when Voss blows up. Mm. Yeah, it's a, maybe he just didn't like Kaon very much. Who <laughs> <laughs> does? I I reckon James Roberts has done a very good job with this character. He dies evil. There is very little. He's not grey. He's not Megatron. There is nothing good there. There's nothing that you want to get back. You know, there's nothing that you want to see do good in this world. There's you, there's nothing there. You just you can't you can't deal with this person. He needs to die. But he's not one dimensional. He is a very interesting character. And I think the reason the talk of powers and it not being quite the same didn't bother me uh, so much is that most of the science in this issue is quite eccentric. So it's sort of not really making that much sense and bother me because things like black hole eyes or turning the time travel briefcase into a teleport briefcase. It's an eccentric issue scientifically. <laughs> there is precedent at least for the time travel briefcase, isn't there? Oh, for, for, the, for, the, for the teleport briefcase. Weren't they teleporting them around in Elegant Chaos? I can't remember. Yeah, that's a, yeah it's, it's a space time machine. It's a, it's, a, it's a minor point, anyway. So, yeah. Everything else that's going on, then. God, yeah. Jeez. And then, of course, I mean, you're, the thing you're left with there is Megatron reclaiming the Decepticon symbol. That's scary. Well, to die in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and uh, sort of Rodimus coming in to rescue him is uh, a nice, again, symmetrical touch. Of course, Rodimus inseminated Megatron Spark back on Luna One when he stood on the surface. So he's basically Megatron's dad. And oh. So one of our three parents he's got, really, between him, Brainstorm, and Will. So it's quite nice when he's the one to go in there and uh, grab him and, like your dad, coming to collect you after you've had a fight at school, really. It is very like. Well, like uh, like Springer and Pr- uh, like Prowl and yeah, Springer and Prowl. 
And he's got his adopted dad as well, Terminus. Ah. But it makes sense also for Rodimus because he's the whole uh, uh, traumatised by leaving his men behind guy. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice one. But as I look at Rodimus' face and we teleport back, he thinks he's the coolest man who has ever lived in that panel. That's part of the reason why he did it. <laughs> so, yeah, I am so awesome. It's only great in a comic that's full of character development. Rodimus is still a bit full of himself <laughs> right to the end. I love the, the faces. I mean, throughout this, but uh, just that kind of... I, I genuinely, I, I looked at that panel and you see Rodimus there with Megatron, but just from the look, just I'd been primed with the look on Megatron's face um, in the last page, I, I thought he'd stayed. I thought he'd blown himself up. And then I actually had to kind of squint a bit and sort of like, oh, no, no, he, he, he did. He took his hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the, expre- the whole the art here is just like, I, I can't praise it enough. The expressions are fantastic. And Rodimus has the look he has when he's talking to Trail Cutter again uh, in the past. So another throw, I don't know how deliberate it is, but it did take me back to that. Mm. And uh, what I also like is how the fusion cannon is uh, not quite faded in yet on that panel. It's more uh, symbolic of a choice he's about to... Uh, He's Schrodinger's cat of whether or not he is going to be a Decepticon or Autobot or just run off. Uh, it's nicely represented by that. Ah, nice for that one. I, I, I'm tempted to say it's because that would have completely obscured Rodimus and made it look a bit weird. Oh, uh, but, <laughs> but, but I like, I like your take. I like your take on it. It is a quantum fusion cannon, remember? But let's take a moment then for the saddest part of the issue. Oh man, that that got me. It really got me because I didn't think he was gonna die. Like people survive worse than this. Surely people are incinerated in this book and they'll lose their heads. They, you know, things, their sparks are shot and they're fine. Really didn't expect Ravage to die there, and I uh, really didn't expect to see Soundwave. That that wasn't that was very sad. Yeah, it's. Uh, I didn't expect Ravage to die either because he's such a sort of key. Transformers character, especially if anybody's a fan of the Marvel comics, as I believe James Roberts is. Uh, I think he's mentioned it once or twice. Uh, so to actually go and... Uh, the mega base, uh, like I said, I've heard about this, is that people have survived worse, but I'm guessing it tore his spark. It just happened to hit exactly the wrong spot. Or they don't have proper medical equipment there, like, as was the case with skins. Or the lost doesn't give a toss. <laughs> it just doesn't like him very much. Um, I'm guessing if the transformation cog is at the bottom of the spine, that it's been severed quite abruptly, and we we know that if anything happens to the transformation cog, like uh, the shock would kill you. Yeah. Uh, the amb- ambiguity of his last words. Uh, what do you think he means there when he says, don't change back? I don't think I, I want to lean either way. I think I want to leave it ambiguous. It's, it's well, you know, structurally... It's there so that Megatron can behave the way he does, and so you can reverse it when Terminus comes in. I guess it's kind of you need to be doubtful right then. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or you know some of our conversations outside of it, but I do remember saying that uh, one of the things that could be the outcome for Megatron is that he will decide not to be either an Autobot or a Decepticon, or he'll just go off by himself. And he'll say, you know, sod you guys, I'm off, I've had enough of all this. 
And that's where I thought this was going at this point, because uh, he's wearing both badges at once. He's uh, <laughs> pointing his gun at them. He's saying, I'm leaving. I've had enough. It's interesting what the others would have done if he actually had tried to leave. <laughs> at that point, whether they would have tried to stop him or not, because they're still technically responsible for him and his mail. So, so how are they going to, I mean, how are they going to go? We, we don't have one ship, Megatron. How are you just going to go and wander over there and just... Yeah, just I'm going to go part of the planet. <laughs> actually, I buried a spaceship here last time I was here. <laughs> There's some of my statue. I'm going to go dig that up. For... <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly tense uh, moment. Uh, I, I think it I, for me it was spoiled a little bit with the with the callback to Prowl flipping the table. Yeah, uh, I I, did, I don't I am not sure why that's there. Is, is it deliberate? Do you think? I I read it as like kind of a winky moment, as like oh remember this happened in the first issue. Hey, no, you know, I, and that that if, if I don't know if that is the the, the intention there, but like a bookend sort of does not mm. does not help further the tension that's going on here. Yeah. yeah, I think because it's like uh, the last, in inverted commas, issue, it's just a callback to issue one, sort of a full circle sort of thing. You know, considering James loves his symmetry and all that, I wouldn't be surprised if this happens the same number of pages from the end of the issue, but the prowl flip happened from the start of the issue in issue one. I could see that being the sort of thing he would do. Like, it's, it's a bit of a strange way to treat the body of your dead best friend. To be honest, he could have at least got a flip to another table. Well, I like oh, that. I'm so it's sad Ravage is dead. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that because it's shocking. It is just like, geez, man, like, this is a madman. This is someone who is, you know, is not well. Um, and, you know, when Velocity, like, Velocity goes to pick up and cradle Ravage's body after this. Like, it is on panel, the characters are reacting the same way we are. Just like, who would do that? I interpret it as he's dead. That's just, that's a dead body. He's not there anymore. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but I guess, like, is he angry about what Ravage said? Or is he just kind of, like, angry that he couldn't save Ravage? Or, yeah, is it just, like, this is just fodder now? Uh, um, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's all sort of folded into the the the, the immediacy of, of the moment. So, yeah, it's the wrong time for callbacks. Of course, uh, luckily, Megatron may have lost his best friend. He, what he needs is a new one to come along. Ah, Terminus! His bestest best friend. <laughs> I don't think anybody expected this. In <laughs> no, a million years. <laughs> is it maybe that one guy got glitched? This is going to happen. Well, <laughs> after seeing Roller, I wasn't that surprised here, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. You, and I guess that's another reason to have Roller turn up earlier. It's the kind of, this is less about that surprise it's more about like oh yeah he's another missing and he was missing before roller and oh, uh, uh. i love this i absolutely love this moment it is so so sad he gives him a hug megatron doesn't do hugs oh yeah he doesn't do hugs mm. and he finally comes and admits it that maybe he lost his way and he crushes the deceptical badge underfoot as well you know uh, he's talking about callbacks and that looks very like sort of Galvatron crushing the crown in Transformers the movie moments. Uh, Megatron, is that you? Yeah, but uh, so I mean, it's, just a, it's a great moment. Uh, pretty much me ties everything together. I think there's like barely any plot threads that have not been resolved by this issue. 
except what's yeah, in well, the Luna Ward is Ward. Uh, what happened to Farmer, I guess? That's <laughs> very interesting, though. Maybe <laughs> anyone's waiting for that uh, resolution. The Lost Light is with Bloody Galloway still. Yeah, that's a pretty big one, Stuart. Uh, oh, all right, there's one or two. Aras, Starsaber, there's, there's the knight. We haven't found the knight yeah, yet. Yeah, a little thing called the knight yeah. of Cybertron. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think if the book ended here, I would, like, it wouldn't feel like a cliffhanger, if you know what I mean. But it wouldn't feel like I'd had a complete series. Yeah, yeah I'd, be sa- I'd be satisfied. But you'd, there'd be so much discussion and speculation about where it goes. Yeah. It's basically a happy ending, which I, I don't think anybody was really expecting. You know, it's, for all the talk of sort of like how it was going to be a big massacre and a death-filled storyline, it's actually ended up with minus fatalities <laughs> at the end there, which is quite... More people have come back to life and died. Next couple of pages are basically just exposition, explaining the time case of the Necrobot, who was a nice man all along. I think we owe the Necrobot an apology. We do. We're very... I still think he's a functionist in the other universe, personally. He's, um, I'm still going for that one. Uh, one of the songs on the playlist, uh, which I really... I, 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 uh, I'm very fond of the, uh, of the playlist, and I, I make... Uh, I, I devote a lot of time into listening to all the songs and looking up all the lyrics... Uh, but one I really couldn't place, one which convinced me that The Lost Light was coming back, was the um, To the Rescue by The Divine Comedy. Oh. Um, but it is a much better fit for the Necrobot. I think a possible inspiration here is uh, a film that used to be on TV quite a lot in the 90s. I think I saw it about five or six times. Uh, the 1989 film Millennium, which is about people from the future who uh, need to repopulate the Earth and they come back in time to grab people who are about to die so that they can take them to the future. Uh, they're, they're, they're about to die in plane crashes in the film. Uh, so they can replace them with fake corpses and all that. I mean, so they can repopulate the Earth. And if, it's a similar sort of idea to that. And I would not be surprised if James had not seen that film. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it seems to be a, like a pretty... Um, reasonable extrapolation and very common extrapolation of time travel technology that, uh, I mean, it could have come from anywhere. It reminded me of Quantum Leap more than anything else. Yeah, so effectively, yeah, he has basically made them disappear. Yeah. yeah. The, only, the only reason they were on most of the missing lists is because he rescued them because they were on the missing lists. Because like Roller, if he had to be rescued, there would have been at least a body. So he would have been missing. And if, if if he'd have got as far as rescuing Dominus, none of his story would have happened because but, it's because of Dominus they went to the Necro world in the first place. But that's how the gets... time travel rules work. That's <laughs> how it works in this universe. It, it has to happen because it happened and it will always happen. So he, he, he achieved nothing then, basically. <laughs> that's a good observation, though. They did go to the Necro world because of um, Dominus. But, um, I, I mean, if... Uh... Uh, if the necrobot realized, it must have it must have occurred to him quite soon that the re- that these people are only missing because he is making them missing. So you know he's got that big census, he's got that big database. He must have known that somewhere around this point in the list, I'm going to I'm going to stop doing this for some reason. So maybe that's why he like kept kept keys on him. And also the uh, the necrobot has the technology to make the briefcase work by itself. 
Well, the reveal we get from Rung and Nightbeat makes a lot of the Necrobot's craziness come into very sharp focus. Why would they... It's not that he has put together this database of all the sparks, but he is sitting on the manufactory of Cybertron, and the Transformers are products of Cybertron. The, The last part before the big cliffhanger... Is Rewind going on about Dominus Ambus again? Which is almost <laughs> the perfect ant. Actually, where is Chrome now doing all this, actually? Was he damaged last issue? I don't, no, I don't even see him. he's consoling Nautica, who's still by skids. Rewind finally gets to talk to Magnus, <laughs> who now has time. Well, at least, it, I mean, he puts a flower by Dominus Ambus's now. Like, you know, I think, if, if anything, this is... He's finally able to mourn. He'll never mention it again. <laughs> Is it just me that saw uh, Minimus and Rewind walking off into the sunset as a bit of a, come on, no way. Oh, and he kissed his little sister. And uh, I forgot my Clementine. I would have been nice to have a scene between Drift and Megatron, because I think those two would have a lot to talk about, but I guess that's uh, something lost slight. Yeah, I'd love to get a bit more interaction between them. That would be very interesting, I think. I mean, although at this point, you know, what's there to say? You defected, huh? Yeah. You too, huh? Yeah. So, and then we get to the two guys who've just gone missing. And just as we think, this issue is over. It's not over. It's more to come. I think this was more the least interesting part of the issue for me, because it is just... Whether it's the Titans Return or Lost Light uh, to lead into, it, it's just set up for the next story, mostly. And I, I didn't need a cliffhanger to pick up the next issue or Lost Light. So it's, a, it's another morsel, though. It's the same as at the end of uh, Remaining Light, where just kids go through the portal. It's another thing that links to the bigger story, but you don't quite know what it means. You're just getting these bits and pieces of there's something big going on here, and I'm not sure where it's going. Uh, yeah, I totally thought of Remaining Light here. And uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's a bit more than that. Like, we actually now, I, I think this sort of explains the link, the, the spark that spoke to Skids in command of all these little Cybertrons, I, I guess is the, the, the one who built uh, this factory, this, this manufactory for little Cybertrons. I, 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 the first thing I thought here is like, like, wait a minute, they had like a whole inverted Cybertron to hide in. They didn't have to go and face the DJD. They could have kept them, they could have run around in here forever, right? Cybertron's a big place. This is an explanation for why they didn't get back in time as well. It's not just uh, wondering about it. There's some time dilation going on. Yeah, uh, I'm sure gravity, on, I like that. Uh, on the first page, uh, the middle panel, that looks like they're standing on a, a Titan there. That looks like sort of uh, Metroplex's shoulder to the... Mm. To, so I'm assuming this is going to lead into Titan's return rather than uh, the Lost Light. It's very ring world. Um, a bit of ring world where they're flying on the underside of it and looking at the upside down geographical features again. Oh, that's a, that's a river on the other side of that or a, a mountain. And especially the second book where they're flying over uh, the replica of Earth that is on uh, the ring world and looking at the continents upside down. That's uh, very, very evocative of uh, that book. Yeah. And, uh, I think you had another awesome. Ian Banks analogy to make, didn't you, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the Ringworld one's much more spot on. But um, in I mean, there's a there's a great 
I just, I mean, it, I wouldn't really put it past him, but it seems like in in the book Matter, it's pretty much a Cybertron. There's this artificial honeycombed world, and there are many of them. They are really like have been stamped out, um, just you know around uh, around the galaxy, and nobody knows who built them or why. And they're really dangerous places to live. Um, and there's this great conceit where the the the, the um, what are they called shell worlds, I think he calls them, um, in, in which we feature in the book is like this prison, like where where really naughty races get sent to, where they have to be, live in kind of medieval feudalism. They're gonna just eke out a meager existence there, <laughs> and then they, and then of course anthropologists come to study them. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of uh, and, and, and you know the big obvious one is Magrathea from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You guys have gone far. My, like, my first thought was immediately Quintessence, but I suppose that's what I'm expected well, to think. yes, yeah. And uh, maybe some hints lately, I think, from John Barber that Unicron could be popping up at some, some points, and he's usually connected to Transformers creation mythology tied to him. I'm sure we're all looking forward to that. <laughs> and then we get what night beat things is the Geobomb. Which is blue. Cheer bombs are red. Uh, that's what we know. But, you know, I think, I don't know, deliberate or not, um, what is blue on the knob is what's on the cover of this issue. On two covers, in fact, one is Megatron holding a blue orb where uh, a flower springs from, and the other is him being, you know, surrounded by flying flowers um, that stem out of blue orbs. So maybe it's not a, a weapon. Maybe it's um, something that gives birth to something. I think it's definitely going to be some sort of mass teleporter or something like that. It's, it's what's going to get them off the planet. So they, they're not just like, going to do 55 issues of Lost Lights with them sitting on Necro World, standing around Ravage's corpse. Yeah, I think uh, we can safely assume that this does not um, cause the whole planet to explode and kill everyone on it. Ah. That'd be an amazing... Lost Light could still just be the adventures of Getaway. But Rodimus is on the cover, and he's blue. Maybe that's what this does. It paints Rodimus blue and purple. It makes you blue yourself. Well, what did we think about this whole arc? This arc, I think, was was pretty damn good. I think, it, you know, the, it's, it's most fair to compare it to Remain in Light. And I think um, it was a lot more satisfying... Than remaining light, it, it, it drew from more material because it had more material to draw from. I think it gave, it resolved Megatron in a way that um, that really worked. Uh, some points minus for stuff we've already talked about the whole uh, running out with superpowers thing. Uh, I, I still don't really understand that. I was waiting for an explanation for that, and there wasn't really any structural reason to uh, make Ultra Magnus really big. Skin. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's a very strong story. I think it's much better than Remaining Light. I think most of the complaints about this issue that have come from people have been a bit odd and unfounded, especially as the complaints coming from people who have been paying attention and reading the entire series and get all the payoffs. So it's not that they're going about, why have so many payoffs of old stories? It doesn't make sense if you haven't read everything. You have read everything. It's not. Who are these hypothetical people who are not getting this? Uh, well, hello, Warcry. <laughs> we love you. Uh, but I think it's a, a very strong, solid conclusion to a season. It must be very strong. 
and solid overall. Uh, I'd say it's a better conclusion than season one. I would say maybe season two overall hasn't been quite as good as season one, uh, but still really, really good and more pluses than negatives. And yeah, very happy. Very, very happy. Yeah, I have to say I've really quite enjoyed this. I think for me... The- Perhaps I would still question the dip with issue 53, I want to say, um, which I thought kind of broke the story up a little bit, and I don't think it was necessary. But other than that, I have really, really enjoyed this. I mean, I've really enjoyed season two on the whole, and Megatron is my favorite Transformers character. He's always been my favorite Transformers character. In like every every continuity, every iteration of Megatron is my favorite character. And I was, although I was appreciative of what was happening with him in this season, I was getting more and more sort of skeptical about where this was all going. Like I, he, he stopped feeling like Megatron to me. And I think the um, this arc and especially this issue has really brought him back in a very big way. And uh, it's almost like, you know, he lost himself and then found himself again. And I think I kind of followed along for that trip, uh, which was very satisfying because he's still there. Like, and that makes me happy. The same scheming warlord Megatron who, you know, kept the war going for four million years is still there, which is what I like about the character, not the fact that he's a... Uh, genocidal mania but kudos all around i like the fact that the the art stayed more or less consistent as well i think that um, made it all the more satisfying that's a big thing to take away from this storyline in season two is that megatron recovered an autobot could so easily have been a disaster but it's been consistently well done throughout the entire series and megatron is easily the highlight of it's sort of ironic we're getting a book called Transformers Optimus Prime next year because you could have quite easily called this year of more than BTI Transformers Megatron. It's all orbiting around him and everything to do with him in this book has worked brilliantly. Um, I, I'm going to go um, against the, the general grain here and say I've well, enjoyed I've enjoyed season two much more than season one. I think it's it's uh, it's deeper and a lot more ambitious. I think there's been some really, um, uh, really uh, challenging uh, stuff in there with 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 a lot of it coming from Megatron, but also some of the format uh, experimentation stuff like uh, the Swerve World and um, stuff just uh, even things like the um, the Trailbreaker Death issue. What which one was that? Thirty four was it? I think structurally, in terms of, of the writing, I think it's a it's a much more accomplished piece of work. Yeah, I should say the, the only thing I really didn't like was the, the personality ticks two parter. Uh, everything else, I pretty much on the other side enjoyed. I think it's only really that that sort of uh, dragged it down a bit for me because I enjoyed all the issues in season one. So it's sort of it's a very close thing. Yeah, I, I don't have a favourite. I've enjoyed both seasons for different reasons. Um, there were some issues in season one, which similarly I thought were weaker than the others, but I didn't necessarily dislike them. And uh, like you, I think for season two, probably the personality takes some of these favourite issues. But, the, you know, there's a lot of memorable moments in there as well. And yeah, I think the payoff this season has been greater because there's so much more material. And there's um, there are things here that are coming to fruition that have been seeded now five or more years ago 
and that's uh, that's uh, an astonishing achievement, really. We're going to do a deep, deep dive on all of season two, aren't we? Yes, if you think we've gone deep so far, you will be going deeper than World's Army to Megatron's black hole. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) We are planning specifically to look at this season thematically, and we would like to focus on the theme of identity. So if this is something that you think you'd be interested in, this is uh, likely to be our next podcast. Indeed, and uh, at some point between now and the next podcast coming out, we will two of us will be at TF Nation in the UK. Uh, you'll have to guess which two. <laughs> uh, uh, if you see us, uh, come and say hello, and uh, especially if you're one of the lovely people who's given us a five-star review on iTunes. We didn't even write most of those. Some of them are from other people. It's very, it's very nice. You guys uh, made me very happy. Thank you for the ratings you've given us on iTunes. If you're listening to this and you haven't rated us yet, it's just on your app. Just go rate us. It would make us so, so happy and it will take you two seconds and it would be amazing and fantastic. As long as you give us five stars. <laughs> I have to confess that I, I haven't yet done that. <gasps> <laughs> but uh, if you want to uh, talk to us, you can tweet us at Podcast Maximus. Come to our Podcast Maximus Facebook page. Uh, leave, leave a comment in the thread of the archive. Uh, email at podcastmaximus at yahoo.com. And my good colleagues have their own Twitter accounts and uh, things they might like to promote. So, uh, Tom, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, look for me on the other end of at tarome.mcnally. No, no dot. On the other end of... <laughs> On the other end of Tyrone McNally, uh, I'm currently working on the Saga of the European King. It is a it is a, uh, a fiction podcast uh, comedy. Um, episode 19 will be out on the 19th of August, uh, and it, it, I promise a great time with that. Excellent, bye Guys, come find me on Twitter if you'd like. Um, and if you are going to be at TF Nation, I will be there from the 19th to the uh, 21st or 22nd potentially. Um, come say hi. Um, come and tell us if you if you like the podcast. Uh, come and talk to us about more than meets the eye. Come and argue with us about the things we say here or don't say here. And uh, in any case, it would be great to say hi. And if you don't know what Marion looks like, she'll be the person under a giant pile of drift sketches. Uh, as I mean, she's getting one from every single artist in attendance to create a giant mosaic of them. All the commissions, all the prints, all the everything drift, that will be me. <laughs> and I am at Inflatable Dalek. And at the moment, I'm slowly starting work on Transformation Volume 2. Uh, so if you follow me on Twitter, you'll basically see me occasionally going, oh dear God, why have I decided to do this? It's so dull. Laboriously rewriting stuff you wrote two years ago. Oh, kill me now. It's sort of a big enthusiastic way like that. Uh, if you're going to TF Nation and don't yet have a copy of Transformation Volume 1, I will be bringing some with me, but only as many as people ask for. And I'll be doing um, £10 a copy. So if you would like one, tweet it at me. Uh, I think just about anyone who's going to TF Nation will already have one from last year anyway. So I'll bring a couple with me if people ask for them. And that, I think, is everything, isn't it, folks? That's everything. Excellent. So uh, I think... Uh, we will now say goodbye. I wasn't at all a stilted way of finishing the podcast. <laughs> that's like in a monologue. <laughs> Let us now say goodbye. Yes, that's another excellent idea. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
拜拜。